Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Rocket Nation podcast. Uh, it is the end of the season for Mizzou basketball, so this is the last, I guess, regular season episode of uh, of Dive Cuts. Uh, we will transition into the off season after this, but uh, here we are, Dive Cuts. Sam Snelling, I'm your host. With me, as always, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well. Uh... The, the weekend of uh, NCAA tournament action kind of threw me off because today was Monday and I wanted to, wa- or yesterday was Monday and I wanted to watch a bunch of games. But then I was like, no, I uh, I actually have real responsibilities and adulthood calling. So I watched none of the second round yesterday and I, I feel a little bit empty inside. Uh, so yeah, the 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 Friday through Monday thing is certainly weird. Like I liked, I did like having the. Uh, the first four games happen the night before an all in on succession. I did like that. Uh, but then like the Friday, Saturday, and I, I always kind of take days off. Um, so I was off completely on Friday and then I took a half day uh, yesterday to, to watch everything. Um, I also really like, I really don't like the, uh, the way that they schedule it. I like the staggered times. Uh, I, I thought those, I thought, well, so no, so I I don't like the like the Sunday Monday schedule where it's like you have a game at eleven, and you have another game at two, yeah, and then you have another game at five. <laughs> it's just like, so if the first game sucks, 
then you're stuck watching it, you know? And it's just like, I mean, obviously, like, I, I can do something else. I can, you know, pull up Twitter and, and read angry messages, uh, adding Rockham Nation for uh, even conceiving of the thought that you might want to bring Conzo Martin back next year. Um, but, yeah, so I, I like... I really like the uh, more staggering of the games. Um, I would like to see, like, at halftime of the the first game, like you're starting the next game, uh, and then just have it kind of go like that. And then it, maybe it wraps up a little earlier, and uh, and you can actually go to bed earlier. Yeah, that, that would be handy. But uh, I, I did like having one full first round on Saturday. That that was nice to be able to just do noon to midnight. Not really. Like I think it was on two separate spots for six hours. That was that was a nice um, situation. But other than that, I'm I'm fine. Uh, but well, where do you want to start here? Because obviously we're recording this on Tuesday night. We opted to push back a night so we could we could both watch basketball last night. Um. Well, I, th- I think we should probably start with like the breaking news, uh, and then we'll we'll kind of go into like some game review. We can talk Oklahoma, um, but at this point, I imagine the majority of the people that are listening are probably more curious. Uh, as we are, you know, in Missouri's off season uh, about you know a defection that I think we were all kind of prepared for, but but certainly um, cer- certainly still newsworthy. Yeah. Um... For, I, I think for the better part of this season, in some form or fashion, we'd expected um, Xavier Pinson to uh, his junior season to be his last in Columbia. Um, he had t- so we he managed to go the entire three years, uh, you know, being a Missouri Tiger, and I still struggle to say Xavier Pinson. It, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna. If he's angry at me, still for foul for fouling up his name, it's it'll always be that way. But um, just <laughs> a defection we had expected, weren't surprised by. Nonetheless, I still think it's a triggering event for uh, a certain segment of the fan base, um, for vitriol, for frustration, anxiety, anger, whatever you want to say, but. I don't think anyone was surprised by what came down today. I think it was just a question of when, not if. Uh, All right, so so I wondered this, okay? So one of the clear, I guess, uh, lightning rods of conversation around Missouri's loss to Oklahoma in the opening round was, you know, Pinson's lack of playing time, which I highlighted... Uh, in my study hall, as talked about it on Twitter, uh, he was not good against Oklahoma. Um, you know, certainly I think people realize, and you and I both realize, that that the ceiling that he provides is, is maybe the highest on the team. But the floor is, <laughs> is also significantly lower uh, than... You know, another sort of popular target, which is Drew Bugs, And, you know, you and I both sort of highlighted, you know, what Bugs sort of brings to 
uh, you know, the court and it's, it's not scoring. And it's like, I think that's difficult for people to sort of rationalize. Um, but I wonder if the sort of added freak out of the timing of Xavier Pinson's announcer uh, or ex Xavier Pinson's announcement that he's entering the transfer portal, um, you know, just a few days after, you know, this, this sort of, you know, incident of not playing down the stretch and him putting, you know, kind of cryptic, uh, messages on Instagram and all that kind of nonsense. Um, if it sort of exasperated the, uh, you know, the already sort of underlying rumblings that I think we were experiencing, uh, you know, due to his not playing. I think no matter how Oklahoma had transpired, the exit was going to be a triggering event anyway. Um, I think the one thing that, and, and this is related, but it'll be a little bit of a, of a side road here or divergence. The anxiety that the fan base feels right now is that next year is going to be a hard reset. And that if four years had been building to a nine seed and a first round exit, followed by a really, really hard reset or the possibility of that next year, that's frustrating. And, you know, given what's the attrition that's going to happen and that, you know, Pinson was slated to be a four years, a fourth year senior next year to see him exit under any circumstance, I think was going to always exacerbate that anxiety. Missouri could have gone out on its shield. They could have, you know, all, you know, Mark Smith, Xavier Pinson, Jeremiah Tillman, Drew Smith could have played a phenomenal game. They all could have shown up, you know, fired every bullet in the clip. And if they had lost, I still think there would have been kind of a visceral reaction to this event because I just think people have been worried about it all season. So I don't know necessarily if the circumstances of Saturday would have changed the response to what happened today. That's been sort of lingering out there all year. I just think today kind of sharpened the relief of that. Like the, the way the game transpired, particularly in the second half with him sitting for 10 minutes, arguably while Drew Bugs was on the floor during a 12-2 run that got them back in the game. And kind of the circumstances under which it happened, you know, tinged it. But I, I don't think the reaction would have been any different just given what the underlying tensions had been down the stretch and what we knew was sort of coming this offseason anyway. So maybe that's me being naive, but that's just sort of my general two cents on the, on the entire deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of think it's, it's weird because I don't think we've necessarily hidden, uh, you know, the idea, the, this sort of underlying belief that, that Pinson was, was not going to be around. I, you know, I know, you know, Dave Matter has kind of talked about it, and Gabe has talked about it. And, Everyone's talked about uh, it, but uh, but it's like still it's, it has to get been... here, and that's still gonna that's still going to that's still gonna you know I think rub people wrong in a, in a way, not wrong, but I think it's still going to bring up those feelings that people have. Uh, it, it's it was an inevitability. It was just a question of when it was going to arrive. And better for it to be a couple days after this, after the season's over, than drag it out. And now we can all sort of work through it and begin to focus on what the roster is going to look like moving forward. 
Uh, well, yeah, so I think that's sort of part of it that's interesting is, I mean, you sort of want these uh, defections to happen sooner, right? Like, I remember, uh, you know, when Jakeen and Gant transferred, it was like at the end of May or something weird like that. Like, you you make it through sort of like this period of like two or three weeks after the season, and then you kind of feel like you're in the clear. Um, as long as it's a guy that you know the staff you know wants on the roster because he's he's talented, and I, I think you know Pinson's a guy would would qualify under those uh, those parameters, and certainly Jakeen Gant uh, was a guy who you know the staff thought that they had done enough to retain and bring him back, and then you know he he bounced in <laughs> like late spring, and so yeah, so it's it's definitely better when. You know, Pinson decides, uh, you know, to make his announcement now as opposed to, uh, you know, waiting even a couple weeks because in a couple weeks, like, the, you don't you don't really know what might happen when it comes to who is available in the portal, uh, and how having, you know, a guy who's sort of expected probably you know next year if he were coming back a guy that's probably going to you know average 28 to 30 minutes and take up 30 percent of the possessions like that's a hefty amount of work um and so if if he's the guy uh coming back then you know any other sort of you know ball handling guard uh you know guy who's sort of looking to make a statement uh in the in uh, you know power conference league like the sec is gonna maybe look at missouri and say oh well this guy's already on the roster and he's already taking a lot of shots. Like, you know, where, where is my role going to be? And then, you know, it's up to the coaching staff to sort of convince that guy that he can play, you know, with Pinson, which, I mean, if you've watched Pinson at all this year, like when he's on the court, he commands the ball a lot. And, you know, for better, for worse, uh, like that means that those, you know, possessions aren't going through other players, uh, and and so if you're if you're another guard, uh, then you have to, you basically have to be like this perfect player, which I kind of think you know you you look at Drew Smith as as a nearly perfect player, and the reason he's the perfect player is because he was a as good of a compliment to a guy like you know Pinson as you can find. And if if you're Pinson, the fact of the matter is we're probably going to see fifteen hundred guys go into the portal this year, like we're we're going to see probably a 30% increase in the number of dudes that want to relocate. It, 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 if you want to find another comparable spot in a high major league, you, you've got to move now. There was no, if you're ex, waiting a week is, is not going to help you here. You, you need to go, you need to be fielding calls, you need to be vetting your options now. So, uh, just the circumstances of the past year and of this particular spring made it worthwhile not to drag this out. You know, get back to Columbia. Everyone goes in and starts their sit downs with Zoe, and they go through things. Better just to get it out of the way, and you know, let him begin fielding calls. Let the staff begin, you know, prioritizing its options in the portal. And moving forward, um, on court we can talk about that next. But I, I just think how this transpired was about as clean a break as you could hope for. 
it, it we knew it was sort of coming down the pike. It happened one or two days after the season. Now both parties can move on their way and, and feel like they're going to get a clean break. So it, in that sense, it, it unfolded about as well as you could hope. So from a scholarship standpoint, it puts Missouri uh, as having two spots available. We've been talking about Missouri adding at least a couple guys via the transfer portal for months uh, because we were expecting uh, you know, this to happen. Um, as far as any other roster churn, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see maybe another spot or two open up. I don't necessarily want to go into... Like, okay, like, if that happens, who's it going to be? Because um, I think people that know me at this point know that I don't like to speculate on any individual. You don't want to push kids out the door. It, it, right, it, and it's this is entirely us playing the odds um, of saying, okay, like, I fully expect, uh, and it's it's pouring here all of a sudden. Can, yeah, can you I hear can, that? I can. It's nice. Getting a rainstorm on the pod, I like it. Um. <laughs> hopefully not a harbinger, but uh, conditions. There. <laughs> um, but the reality is these days, right? That uh, kids transfer, and I mean, there's like you said, there's going to be like 1,500 kids in the portal. I'm sure, like you know, Pinson is the first one from Missouri. It would not surprise me at all if there's one or even two more kids uh that that sort of find their way um so what you know i was i created the the new scholarship graphic um tonight and i was look, kind of looking at it and i moved ed chang uh i guess from the uh he was in the class 22 for the last graphic we put him down in the class of 23 uh graphic so he is uh he's looking like he is going to be a uh, yeah like a, a full-on red shirt um, you know, but if that's not a medical issue that he based that caused him to not play a lick, then who knows? Um, but like I said, that, like that, we're at the point now where Missouri's basketball team is going to have a very, very different look next year, um, regardless of what happens from here on out. And, and like, this is kind of why one of the reasons why, like, I, even from Rock Nation's Twitter, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to kind of combat this idea that Missouri is going to be terrible. Because we just don't know. They might be. <laughs> like you can't you can't dismiss but, but that. I, I think hand, I said I, I agree with you that Yeah, like I we don't like, we literally have no idea what the roster is gonna look like, you know, when the season begins next year. Uh and we don't know what the roster is gonna look like for any team in the SEC. It's not just Missouri. Uh so like we know Alabama's gonna lose some pretty important guys. Um we know Ole Miss has already had some guys transfer. Uh, you know, South Carolina, who knows what's going to happen in that entire situation. Um, you know, so just like, just when you look around the league, like it's it's impossible on March 23rd to know what any one team is going to look like next year. And at this point, we've seen, we've seen Conzo and, and obviously... You know, the, the players that are on the roster are on the roster because, you know, Martin recruited them uh, to University of Missouri and they took the opportunity to have a scholarship with, with, with him. So it's his roster. But I would 
I think it's pretty clear at this point that the roster was not super deep or super talented. Uh, and we've seen Martin sort of string together two NCAA tournament teams with with some pretty, yeah, with, like, as, as I said, with just a couple dudes and some scotch tape. I mean, like, that's basically what the, you know, the first roster was. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some elements of what this roster was like, the, you know, there's some, some guys that, that played hard, that worked hard. Um, you know, obviously like, you know, I don't think anybody would say that Drew Smith, uh, in particular, like is a, is a supremely talented player. Um, he's a really hard worker. He is a brilliant basketball player as far as, you know, like knowing where he needs to be. Uh, his anticipation is uh, as as good as any uh, player that I've seen in, in recent history, and and so I think like but when you compare him to uh, you know say say like like Trey Mann like Trey Mann is is gifted right six five just slick with the ball can can shoot can shoot you know when he's tightly guarded. Like he can he can do everything you want a basketball player to do. Like Drew Smith is kind of feels like a guy who's more willed himself to that level. Uh, so like I don't mean this to like denigrate Drew Smith. I'm just trying to make the point that, I mean, when you don't know who's going to be on the roster, it's difficult for me to project what the performance is going to be. You know, so. And the other fa- the other variable to consider is outside of KJ Santos. The staff has done a good job going into the portal and finding what it needs. I think they do. You know, people are going to say they had a pretty big miss last year with Justin Turner. Correct. And that's not wrong. But if if we're not in a pandemic and Justin Turner gets to campus, they probably reel in Justin Turner. So I, I think they do a good job operating in this environment of identifying players, filling needs. People will constantly scream at me that drew bugs can't score defenses sag off of him my counter is watch his floor game and watch how the offense operates with him out there and where the ball moves they find what they need in the portal and that's a skill to go out and one to have a critical eye and assess your roster and say we like x y and z about each of these guys but we need this and we're going to go find it and not to like take a and you know they whiffed on on Justin Turner and David Julius last year in the portal, but to still go out and to still find a functional piece in Drew Bugs, that that's a that's a skill. Like I know people are gonna it's in vogue to rip Zoe for everything now, but for the staff to go into the portal to take two misses and then to still come out with a a usable asset is a good thing. So I think they can operate in this space and they're going to have more options than ever to pick from. I, I, I'm, I think like that's one of the things that, that you also mentioned when you're kind of referring to, I, I think some of your early research into bugs was, you know, basically, okay, like here's, this isn't the guy that they were wanting to get in Turner, which was a guy that they could put in, in pick and rolls and get scoring from. But he was a guy who was going to help them improve in some of the margins that we talked about, like, you know, places that they struggled, like, you know, turnovers, uh, you know, pushing the ball, um, you know, basically your, your essential ball handling issues. And then uh, you also provide a backup ball handler to, to Pinson and Drew. 
Um, you know, two guys that played a crap load of minutes were played played a, played a lot of minutes, and, and now you have uh, you know some uh, somebody to sort of keep them fresher. And I, I I thought that was sort of an astute point when we were uh, trying to understand like why that you know especially like when when you watch drew bugs play it, it's i i get what people complain about like you know like the defenses don't really give him any regard <laughs> so it's it's understandable but the reason that they they don't give him any regard is because he you know he's not a guy who's going to shoot the lights out like i think he hit those two threes against arkansas and i was like oh my god like what is going on but the bu- um, but the ball doesn't stick with him he moves it. He gets it where it needs to go. He makes the right decisions. You watch off rebounds off the quick outlet. He pushes. Like, there, there's things in the floor game that he does that that matter. And they show up. If you look at... If you were to look at the plus-minus of Bugs and Pinson, I think it's like plus 34 as a lead guard combo when they're on the floor. When it's Bugs and Drew Smith, it's plus 32. Like, you're not going to, like, that's not going to leave your jaw on the floor, but what that essentially means is Bugs did what he was supposed to do. You could put Xavier Pinson on the bench if he's not playing well. You could put, put Drew Bugs into the game, and the offense would continue to function. It would continue to do what it needs to do. And the turnover rate would be fine. The ball would move. It wouldn't stick. Defensively, he was okay as a team defender. Like, that's not sexy. That's not something that, like, you, you know, freak out over with, you know, on Twitter or, you know, when we write analysis pieces. But he functionally worked. And so, to your point to bring it back, it's weird to freak out about the roster because we know who the five freshmen are. We know that there's no plug-and-play freshmen on this roster. There are three open spots. Potentially three open spots. Two to three, you know, I would guess. Let's see what they yeah, do with I, them. I would, yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't. Uh, it like I would be surprised if there wasn't at least one more defection. Again, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know who would necessarily be the guy that that leaves, but it it just seems unlikely in today's environment that everyone that is expected back. So that would be Javon Pickett, Torrance Watson, uh, Parker Brown, Kobe Brown. Uh, Ed Chang, Jordan Wilmore. So all of those guys, um, if all those guys come back, then, I mean, you have you have guys that are bought into what Conzo's selling. And, I mean, I guess that's not a bad thing. But I would be surprised if, if all of them came back just because, I mean, dudes transfer. Yeah. And there's, there's my astute analysis. Matt. But dudes transfer. Uh, to what i said earlier i get the anxiety of fans and and i don't i think uh, at least in social media and in those spaces people would call me a zoopologist i guess what i would say is i don't freak out about what we don't know at this point like if we get to may and they have not pulled what they need to out of the portal I won't hesitate in saying they didn't get done what they needed to get done. Uh, if But if they get to May and they've done their due diligence, they've landed some great guys and they've managed to fill the holes, I think you have to acknowledge that. I just think it's really hard to sit here on March 23rd and to look at the roster and, and just project doom and gloom, but I think it's also impossible to like project that everything's going to be fine. They've got to do work. And... Yeah, and 
I know that that's it's not a popular position to embrace the sort of gray area there, but you know, let them do work, and we'll judge them on the product that's on the floor next year. If the product on the floor is is garbage, you and I aren't going to hesitate to say that. It's just it's it's hard <laughs> for me to sit here and like act as if it's a foregone conclusion at this point. And if they are crap next year, people are going to come back and say, "See, I told you so," and that's fine. But I just don't think that's that's the most reasonable position to start with here. So we'll see what they do over the next couple of weeks and, and how they begin to sort of move through this. But if there's two to three spots, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, we can talk about what we think they're going to need. I think it's pretty obvious what they're going to need. They, they need ball handling. They probably need a wing scorer. And they probably need to go into the post and, and shore up some depth there. Um, th- those would be my that's my early shopping list I put that on Twitter I, I'm pretty clear about what I think they need to go do um, but then again the staff may think differently than I do and that's why they, they, they make money and, I, and I'm on this podcast with you <laughs> uh, yeah, well I, I have a hard time imagining that they're going to disagree that they need somebody who can score the ball um, like I really think you probably need two guys that are going to be able to come in and and give you points um i as much as i like this freshman class like i think you know you could probably reasonably expect anton brookshire he's a little bit more of a polished uh skill level player a guy who can probably get some minutes i don't know that i love the idea of of your starting lineup with him in it as a freshman um you know but if he's if he's starting he's he should be at least a guy that uh, should be able to handle his own and, and be decent. Um, we certainly know that he can shoot, uh, you know, but like the rest of the, the freshman class, like, like Trevor Brazil is not a guy who um, is particularly, uh, I think ready as a, uh, a big time player, but his ceiling is big time. Um, and I, I think he's going to play because he is, he has, some incredible defensive timing. He understands the timing of defense uh, and the timing of blocking shots. Uh, so I think I think you'll see him play. And then you know Dura Gordon's a guy who's been on campus, so I would imagine you'll probably see you know quite a bit of him. And then it just probably depends on on how healthy Yaya is, uh, and and honestly like how healthy you know Caleb Brown. We know that he's been sort of dealing with his own own injuries. Um, but we're really like I think we're getting a little bit too much into the off season here. I think we also wanted to kind of talk about Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, so I, just to kind of give people a little bit look under the hood, our plan um, is to come back next week and do a little bit more of a in depth look at I think what Missouri needs uh, from the roster standpoint, and then maybe some of the targets that might be available. I think. Uh, by the end of this week, we'll have a, a little bit more clarity on some of the, the guys that are looking at. Uh, I think you'll start to kind of see um, some more names in the portal, uh, some more maybe more popular names, uh, potentially. Uh, you know, I know that there's sort of a rumor out there that, that Caleb Love, um, you know, is a popular Mizzou topic as uh, a guy who... Um, you know, may decide that it, it's time to leave UNC. If that happens, we'll certainly talk about it. But, um, you know, at this point, I just think that 
by this time next week, we will have a uh, a much deeper and clearer understanding of of sort of you know where things can go for Missouri in the portal, uh, and then obviously I think it, it'll probably be you know two, three, four weeks um, before you start to kind of see some of those commitments you know finalized and and some of the you know the roster pieces sort of uh, take place. You, you think that's fair? Yeah. Mostly additionally because they'll probably complete meetings and exit interviews with guys this week. That's that's typically how it goes. So I I would imagine that they'll want to sit down with everyone, debrief, and then decide what's going to happen. And, you know, we're already seeing every day brings three or four more popular names at minimum going into the portal. So they'll probably want to debrief, figure out what they've got to do with their roster, what it looks like begin reaching out if they haven't already to some options and had some conversations. So it makes sense that, you know, you're not going to solve this all in the next week, but next week will probably be a good jumping off point for looking at how they're going to build out the rest of the roster. So, um, the NCAA tournament, (laughs) Not unexpected, but still disappointing. Yeah, I think I think like that's that's like the best way. And and like when I wrote study hall, um, I think I put in the deck like "Stop me if you've heard this song before," because it really felt like several other games that we've seen late in this year where. It's a really, really close game in the first half. Uh, one team kind of goes in a run. The other team kind of comes back. Um, you know, dueling runs, so to speak. And then at sort of like a really important time, Missouri just has like this lull of four or five possessions in a row that allows the opponent to sort of get far enough ahead and as i as i wrote in my my sort of breakdown of missouri and close ball games like the key that i could sort of pull out of all the data that i looked at was whether or not missouri was ahead in those last five minutes if they were and and like in none of the games they lost were they ahead every game that they won they were ahead uh, by a possession or two in those final five minutes. And so, like, as you're watching the game sort of unfold, uh, Missouri takes, like, a one-point lead. And you're feeling like, all right, this is good, right? Um, I think what happened is that was that the that was that the pinson blow by? I think Tillman ended up fouling Harkless. He goes to the line, makes a couple free throws. OU's back up one. Missouri comes down and just takes a terrible three-pointer. And it's Drew Smith. Like, like th- this is the thing that always, like, drives me. As, as a former coach, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's maybe a little uh, unfair uh, to blame some of this stuff on coaches when a player just decides to take a bad shot, and especially when it's, when it's your best player. Uh, Drew Smith takes a, a bad three. Oklahoma goes down, and they... I think turned the ball over. Uh, one of their six turnovers all game. 
Missouri comes down and Mark Smith takes like a 25-foot bomb and misses. So again, one of your starting guards takes a horrible shot. Like in transition. It was a pr- pretty much a transition yeah, three. Was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like at this point you're like, oh my God, that's two, two bad threes in a row. I can't remember the the next sequence, but I think at that point, like Oklahoma comes down, and they miss again, and Missouri comes down, and then Kobe Brown takes that three from the corner, which it like the the kinds of threes that that you want to take are, and granted, I realize Kobe Brown, Mitchell Smith are guys that don't shoot at a very high percentage, but if you're going to shoot, like you want corner threes and threes at the top of the key, and you want them on kickouts. Like, those are ideal. And they got those two within, like, this six or seven possession run. And both were just horrible misses. Uh, I think also included in there, like, in that run, I think Drew Smith did get a couple free throws. But what ended up resulting, uh, Oklahoma ended up going, I think it was a six, seven point run. They were ahead by eight. And at that point, it was like two minutes to go. So it was a miracle that they got back within a possession. But to me, like the decision-making by your senior guards to take shots that were really difficult shots to take uh, is what cost Missouri the game. Uh, I think if they have better possessions, if they attack the rim, I think at that point they were in the bonus. You get fouled. You make free throws. You know, like, I just think there's a lot of different ways you can go. Uh, and it, it just came down to just a few poor shots. Yeah, and we, we saw it in the first half. Missouri starts well in the first five minutes. They they build a lead. They go into the bench. The bench... The bench can has been, to me, the most variable thing all year. Sometimes they do a good job holding the fort until the under 12. Other times they just wilt, and it was one of those things in this game where they got into bugs. Mark Smith, Torrance Watson, Mitchell Smith, Jeremiah Tillman. Missouri's up 12-7. The bench gives up a 6-0 run. Now OU's back in it. Now you're clawing, you're scratching. The bench, you don't get back to the starters until you know, the 12-minute mark in the first half. Both teams have done a good job digging in defensively. You know, we saw that. We saw the same thing in the second half out of the locker room. I'm looking at it right now. In the first 447 of the second half, they get outscored by eight. OU takes a six-point lead. OU in the first 447 outscores Missouri. Yeah, 12-4. You're playing behind the eight ball. Missouri puts, you know, bugs is on the floor. They go on a 12-2 run. They get back in it. And then we get to your point where there's the poor shot selection. It just, there was a lot of things and a lot of tendencies and a lot of the script was very, very much the same as we saw before. And it, it, it's hard for me to like have anything new to say because it was the same sort of thing we've seen all year. And, you know, you wrote about it, which is that early in the season, Missouri had fantastic close game luck. They did, but normally they were playing from ahead. They would build a lead. They'd sort of withstand a surge and they'd close it. And they, you know, hold up in those final five minutes. It's different when they're playing from behind. This team is not built to really, I think, you know, we can talk about the TCU game. That took an unconscious shooting performance. And we can talk about the Bradley game, which 
both of those are sort of outlier events, but this team. Well, so uh, I, this is another thing that I, I made the point if I can interject. Um, and you almost like don't realize it at the point, but Missouri isn't really built to play from behind. They did come from behind against two inferior opponents. But once the talent level evened out, they didn't come from behind. They might have gotten close, but they never got over the hump. So the difference between, you know, missing your come from behind attempt against Oklahoma or, you know, Ole Miss or Georgia or whoever you're playing, Arkansas, and uh, and TCU and Bradley is the talent level. Missouri is able to overcome that against lesser teams. But when the team you're playing is a lot closer to you, or in a lot of cases more talented than you, uh, it's it's much more difficult to get over the hump. And I, and I, I agree with you. Like Missouri is not capable, or not, I don't want to say not capable. The degree of difficulty is high. Missouri's. Yeah, it, it's it's it, their margin for error is a lot slimmer <laughs> than than uh, than a lot of the other teams ahead of them. So, so yeah, sorry. You no, can, can I, I think your point. I just think we we can all fixate on what happened with Pinson sitting, or we can fixate on jumpers that didn't or, or shot selection, but. This thing played out a lot like the last 10 games have for them. And at the end of the day, they're just not built and, and suited as a as a roster to really overcome those sort of situations. And I, it felt, as I watched that final five minutes kind of happen, like, okay, if they can get this thing to overtime, maybe they've got a shot. Maybe, but even then, I, I felt to me the the backbreaker to me was Harkless getting to the rim against Pinson, and like Tillman gets in foul trouble, and now you're gonna have to take it. Just did there was not a moment there where I thought, okay, yeah, they're they're bowing up and they're gonna you know respond to this. It just that they, they I, I never sensed that from them, and that's not analytical. That's not particularly um objective it was just watching the game i didn't read that this was a group that was going to be able to bounce back in that moment and it it is what it is at this point you know that that's not very uh, erudite or very very nuanced but well it's it's like like you've kind of said you know like and and coach martin has said uh you know at a certain point of the season you are who you are uh, you know, like there's not going to be um, a big difference in what your team is going to be able to do. Now, you know, last season, uh, obviously, the flow of the season went in a way where Missouri was was looking for something to sort of snap them out of a funk, and that's when they implemented, you know, a different sort of offensive approach. Um, it wasn't necessarily like a wholesale change of what they did. They just got a lot more focused on a smaller number of things. And they, you know, they tried to focus on their best assets, which were, you know, Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith on a ball screen attacking the rim. Um, 
and it worked. You know, like it, it, it didn't turn them into, uh, you know, the, the best team in the land, but, you know, it got them to about 500 down the stretch. And um, they, they picked the tempo up and, this and, year that stole them some more possessions. They, they, like, yeah, they've made incremental changes to the point where, yeah, what, like, but, but in large degree, we've been watching the same team now for, for, you know, two plus years. Uh, most of the same guys for three. Uh, you know, if you include Drew Smith, it's been two full years. And, and so, like, this is what this team is. Like, they're, they're not a great shooting team. Uh, they, they, play hard um when they shoot when they shoot well it's 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 a good night and when they don't it it gets ugly so and it's hard for me to get upset because i watched what gonzaga did to ou on when the zags were on cruise control and like i i I know we're a missouri power supposed to be optimistic but missouri not at its optimal (laughs) An optimum operating mode against Gonzaga would have been a bloodbath. It just and right, and so like that's the thing is is yeah, Gonzaga was on cruise control. Oklahoma was making a lot of Oklahoma shots. Oklahoma was throwing like, everything at them, and the Zags were still like, oh, we're cool being up twelve to eighteen, and yeah. it's just like there's a point where like yeah, I know you want to end a tournament drought, and I know you want to get that monkey off your back and believe me, I would like to see Missouri win an NCAA tournament game, but uh, it probably speaks to my pessimism that I'm like, Oh, you, you would have won. You would have beaten OU and then just walked into a buzzsaw two days later. Yeah. I think I said on the last pod that of all the draws for Missouri, you know, like if you look at the top, you know, at the, at the time, even before, before, like, I think we were saying, okay, like, you know, we kind of see them landing on seven line. So you, you start looking at the twos. But I, I always thought, like, if they felt the reason I didn't want them to follow an eight is because it opened the possibility of them having to play Gonzaga. And of all the teams in the country, I thought they had, they, I thought they had zero shot to beat Gonzaga. I think you can catch... The other three one seeds on the wrong night. They caught and, one of them. Stick with them, right? Like they beat they beat Illinois. I think you could kind of do the same with Baylor, uh, Michigan with livers out. I think is susceptible, uh, but still very good. Obviously, when you drop down the two line, things get a little little easier. So that's why I think why I was hoping they they'd be on the seven because uh, I think it increases your chances to be able to get to the Sweet Sixteen. They're still not great, um, but. I th- I just thought there was like no chance to beat Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga, at their worst, is still probably eight to ten points better than Missouri. Yeah, yeah. And I I think when we got out of that game and I came down, I just went through and did all the final numbers like it, and I was running through the lineups. The substitution pattern worked the same. Like you just and you and I have talked about this privately. It feels like early on in the year there was excitement because Missouri was executing late and it was a veteran team whose continuity was carrying it forward to good wins and you thought maybe they would catch something and they would be able to ride that sort of momentum. But like you still, when you peeked under the hood at each game, you could see the gears were the same. They still ran the same. The tuning had been adjusted slightly, but it was still the same team. And... Over the last 10 games, the 3-7 and seven results haven't been good. 
you know, you've written about it. If you flip two close game results, they're five and five. And does that change results if Missouri's 18 and eight and knocked out in the first round? I don't know. People are probably the vocal segment that we hear from a lot are probably still not happy, but, but like, and I know we, we try and pride ourselves on, you know, deep dives and stuff, but it just felt like this team had reached its natural end point. And this was kind of a fitting way for it to go. It had probably 20 good minutes of basketball, five really horrible minutes, and then 15 where it just could not functionally get over the... It just didn't have the pieces or it didn't execute cleanly enough to to, to get the result. And, and I, that sounds negative, but given what the roster situation was, that's probably what the top end of, the, of this group's ceiling was. Um, and to circle back to where we were with Pinson and sort of going to the offseason, it felt like this roster had sort of reached its maximal point. I don't think, and you know, I think we can laud that, but I, I don't think you want this to be the point where the program is peaking in a couple more years. I think we can talk about and, uh, and applaud what they did in 26 games this year to maximize this roster. But what we saw against Oklahoma was kind of, you know, what this roster has typically been. And it's exposed a lot of things that Conzo and the staff have to improve on if, if they want to take this program to the next step. And ultimately, if they still want to make this a long-term sort of deal here. And, and, you know, have some staying power. So it, it feels like a natural ending, but it also feels like it still has the same question that they've got to answer to be a long-term solution for this program. Well, yeah, so I think that sort of naturally takes us to the point where um, you look ahead a little bit. And we're going to look ahead a lot uh, in the next pod, but, but to sort of sort of peak a little one of the things that you know as as somebody who has analyzed this program since Kim Anderson took over um I have to say like I'm looking forward to next year's team because I feel like there's more of a fresh start uh to the roster than we've had in a while um, you know, maybe that first year under Conzo was kind of the same thing. You know, but Conzo didn't run off a bunch of Kim's uh, guys. Like, he, he kept a good portion of, you know, KA's guys. Like, there was, you know, per year, obviously, Mitchell Smith, uh, you know, uh, Geis, Cullivan, Lear. Uh, you know, there was very much a level of continuity from that program to the uh, to, to, to Zoe's, you know, Jordan Barnett, uh, only played yeah, Nico, I, you know, Barnett was a guy who only played a half a year under, under Kim, but was still, it was still continuity. Uh, you know, next year, man, like who's been a part of the lineup, Kobe, you know, like I re I realize, you know, Javon Pickett is a guy who's been there and been a starter. Uh, you know, but Javon's role was significantly reduced this year. Um, and, 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 you know, Torrance Watson, same thing. Like the, these are guys who, 
who you know maybe played big minutes early, but but sort of saw their roles reduced on on a, a team that was better than the teams they were playing more minutes on. And so I think that's going to be interesting <laughs> to sort of pay attention to as as you know Conzo and his staff sort of put the final you know touches on on the rest of the roster is is what role do guys who have their roles reduced have on this team next year what role does kobe brown have um you know with when there's going to be so many newcomers like it's entirely possible that that you have you know four new starters next year And, and so to be able to look at the team from kind of where it was and where we're going to have just a whole set of new faces who I, th- I actually think it's going to be helpful for the fan base because <laughs> there's only so much frustration that you can have with a certain group of guys uh, when you like you understand their limitations. Um, and so like you understand what they're good at, what they're bad at with these new guys. Like we, we haven't seen them play. At least not at this level. So there's going to be a, a, a learning process for for us, which I'm really looking forward to, uh, and a learning process for the staff. And and who knows? Like maybe they they have a great off season. They land a couple big pieces that they need, and and they're able to um, you know put together the kind of roster that. You know, and again, like I don't I don't think with what is what exists on the roster as it is right now is. Uh, anything that is going to compete for an NCAA tournament spot. Um, you know, but I still think based upon Konzo's past record that if he if he gets the right pieces in place that they are enough to at least be in that conversation. Um, but it, it requ- it's going to require a lot of work on their part uh, this offseason. I've said this repeatedly. They've gotten the program back to its baseline performance for the last two decades or so. If you look at average wins, if you look based on what they spend, on the recruiting level they have, um, I realize that's not going to sate every member of the fan base, but I think you can look at this team now and say if they had had four or five more non-con games, they probably win eight, you know, 20 to 21 games. They would have made a tournament. They would have got an eight or a nine seed. If that's the baseline level, you know, that the program was at before Kim Anderson senior, you know, cratered the program, then then it's not what people want. I, I understand frustrations. I'm going to keep saying that. I'm going to be a broken record. I understand your frustration. But the program is back to a healthy level. It's not, you know, looking around and and sort of wandering the wilderness. It's not on life support or any other cliche. It, it's back to a, a normal status of health. The next two years, because frankly, that that's how Zoe's contract is structured. He's going to be here the next two years. These are the two years that I, I, I'm fascinated by because they're going to tell us how much staying power Konzo and whatever iteration his staff takes on. This is... You know, we like the 2021 class. We like some of the pieces in it. We feel like, you know, there's some more risks. The f- The ceiling is higher with some guys. That comes with some risks, naturally. But I think they've made the right bets with the 2021 guys. If they can have some success in the next six weeks on the transfer market, it eases that. 
and and then we get to see the next two years play out. Um, we can talk about this more next week, but I, I've never thought that this would all come in four years. You know, there was the halcyon days of 2017 when it looked like this might be a one or two re- year rebuild. It didn't play out that way. But in four years, the program's back to a semi-normal level that's consistent with the resources it invests in its historic performance. Now we get to see what you and I have talked about a lot, which is, can Zoe elevate this program? You know, we've talked a lot about his potential. We've talked about how we've liked how he's evolved offensively and in terms of how he wants to play with pace and and all the good things he's done. And, and you know, though that shouldn't be chucked aside easily, but the next two years are really, I think, where we see if he can begin to elevate, if he can elevate this program. This is this is where rubber meets road um, for him and, and for his time here. And I think that's interesting, and, that, and that's better than talking about what we've had to do last year, which I feel we've had to put a lot of caveats on stuff. And not to say the next years are going to be without those, but it feels like the next years are really where we get to see whether or not this is going to work. And if we get to a point in two years where it's kind of the same conversation that you and I are having right now on March 23rd, 2021, then then I think you're going to begin to say, you know, maybe it's time to look at rebooting. But the next two years, I think, are where we get to see whether or not this really works. And that that's that's interesting than talking about trying to just get back to baseline. I think, you know, my, my biggest takeaway from a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of postseason conversations that uh, I've seen happening is the number of people who appear to have made up their mind. And I think you have said it, and I will continue to say it, the main thing that, that I want all of us to kind of go into this offseason and, and the future of Missouri basketball is to is to not have our future predetermined. Uh, there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot that still needs to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of recruiting that needs to happen. There's a lot of improvements that need to be made. But it's like you said, like for the first time in a long time, I feel like this program has as good of a foundation, um, you know, going back to the Mike Anderson years. Um you know, no offense to, uh, you know, to to Frank Haith and and you know he he put together what I thought was a, a pretty damn good roster uh, his his second year and if Mike Dixon isn't a creep then maybe things go differently but the foundation and the expectations um, the I guess what we what we sort of understand as Missouri at basketball as a baseline has kind of been set by this coach. It's up to him and his his staff and whoever his staff is or continues to be uh, to elevate it, right? Like like it, at this point we're we're not saying that we are we are satisfied with where it is, but I think what you've done is you've established the baseline. The, the baseline expectation is you're going to compete for NCAA tournaments every year. Uh, and I fully expect them to do everything in their power this offseason to put together a roster that is going to compete for an NCAA tournament bid. I didn't say make the NCAA tournament because 
judging by what they have on the roster, I don't think they have that. And <laughs> I, I think people would say, to, to interject here, if we come off condescending or snide, I think it's more our frustration showing in the sense that we get it. People, look, no one wants to see this program compete at a level where where stakes matter in March as much as we do. Like, we're objective and we try and you know, divorce strict you know, reactionism from whatever we do and we try and take a breath. But, like, look, we, we I don't think you are sitting here like sicko saying, oh, man, we're so glad that they are 18 and 14 and, we, and people get to be pissed off and raging in Rockham's Twitter mentions. We get it. <laughs> we get it. Like, I, I, I think that's that's the hard part here is to say you can. It does make for good. It comedy. does, but I, I think what I what I'm tired of is people acting like we're making excuses when what we're saying is, you know, Gary Parrish said it best last week when you talk about the IU opening, in in the Iowa State opening and in the Big Twelve, somebody's going to finish eighth. Like in the SEC, like I know Missouri fans walked into the SEC thinking we should be fourth every year, and we've talked about it a lot that the SEC cares now. I don't think Missouri is going to be a program as we see here today that's that you can pencil in fourth every year. But it's a program now that I think if it does what it needs to do in the next two years, we can now say, oh man, if they finish eighth, that's that that's a slight, you know, that's disappointing. We expect to you know see this team in the top half of the league. It should be recruiting at a level where, like you're saying, tournament contention should be there every year. And if you put enough of those, if you put a couple of years together there, you begin to elevate it. And, and I, you know, it's pleading for patience and I realize that's a fool's errand, you know, now, but, <laughs> you know, I think what I would say to people is, do we know if Conzo's the right guy? Do we know if he's the person that's going to take this program to where people want to go? No, we don't, but he's restored it to a level of respectability that he's at least earned the opportunity for the next two years to show if he can elevate it. And if he can't, then, you know, you and I will sit here and we'll say, hey, there was patience, there was investment, there was time given. It just hasn't worked. It's time to explore something new. I'm just saying, I think we can sit here and say we're not satisfied, but also say that the staff here has earned the right to at least get the next two years to try and prove if, it, if it's the right group to put this program where a lot of people want to see. And I would just plead with people to like, Go with that mindset. If your mind's made up, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to try to change it. But what I would say is, I would say like the if your mind's made up, the number of people that are listening to this is, is minimal. But <laughs> like I yeah, I'm, but I'm I, I guess what I'm trying like to say is I'm trying to empathize are... with people who who are frustrated right now. And I get it. <laughs> I'm just saying that the level of the challenge here, it, Missouri's not back, but it's in a healthier place. And now and now let's see where this staff can elevate it. And if it can't. Then, then it'll be time to try something new. I just don't think we're at that point, obviously. So again, we'll be back uh, next week. Um, I think there's uh, some potential for some news this week that uh, will. I mean, and I'm not cluing any, any anything in. Like I'm not saying, I'm projecting. Uh, I'm just saying I, I think that there's going to be a lot more. Uh, movement this week that will give us a, a better, clearer idea of what Missouri is planning on doing uh, this spring, and uh, and give us a better idea of what Missouri is going to look like next year. So, hopefully, uh, we get what we want out of that. 
um, and we have something more concrete to talk about next week. Uh, until then, uh, I don't I don't know if the uh, before the box score guys are going to record this week, but I feel like they should, considering spring game was this past, past weekend. So probably get uh, two big podcasts uh, this week, and uh, then you'll hear from us again next week. So until then, thanks for joining.